Welcome to the Quad Pod, a podcast highlighting life at Baylor School in Chattanooga, Tennessee, inspired by the many converging paths on our campus where faculty, staff, students, alumni, and families meet. We bring you stories from all angles told by many voices. This episode is hosted by me, Abigail Bailey, class of 23. And me, Nathan Andriotti, class of 23. Hey, Gail. So, how's senior year for you? Oh, man, I've been so busy. I feel like I practically live at the library at this point. Well, I mean, there's definitely worse places to live. That is true. Yeah, Hedges is one of the best places on campus, and I think it's probably the best spot to get work done or just relax when I have a free period. Yeah, but it's not just a hangout spot. It's home to over 20,000 books, ranging from young adult fiction and graphic novels to countless encyclopedias and research texts. Naturally, it remains a central asset for Baylor, whether you're doing research for a paper or simply looking for a good book to read. Now we've all heard the press about how teens don't read anymore, that the iPhone was the death of pleasure reading for teens, and there's no denying that digital culture has changed reading habits, but with over 5,000 books checked out of our library each year, it's clear that students are still reading. And since you can't check out research texts, these books moving in and out of circulation are not just books required for class. So on this episode, we decided to take a closer look at the library and, in general, reading culture on campus. First, we joined Mr. Kelly, Priscilla Birdsall, and four young middle schoolers to discuss reading clubs on campus and how a shared love of reading brought two new clubs into being. Next, we sit down with library director Lauren Callahan and reading librarian Rhonda Sixto to learn about various programs the library has recently initiated to foster a love for books in our community. Following this, we meet up with research librarian Lee Howick to discuss how to navigate the numerous sources, both physical and digital, offered by the library. Finally, we catch up with veteran Baylor faculty member Chris Watkins about his time in the English department, influential books, and how he approaches teaching literature to his upper school students in the 21st century. And now, episode 17, Raider Readers. First, we join Mr. Kelly, Priscilla Birdsall, and four young middle schoolers to discuss reading clubs on campus and how a shared love of reading helped spawn two new reading clubs in the middle school. The great American poet Emily Dickinson famously wrote, There is no frigate like a book to take us lands away. The following story is about the transformative power of reading and how one influential teacher and a group of young readers found one another and created a space on campus to experience together the captivating sway of a good book. Here is their story. Hi, I'm Anton. I'm in seventh grade. Why I like reading is because mainly I, I love to read fiction because my imagination just goes wild and I'm... It's just like I'm teleported into the world, like in the character, maybe like I'm looking over them or like I'm sort of feeling the emotions they're feeling. If it's first person or if it's um, third person, then I might just be like looking over there and like understanding everything. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Agner and I'm class of 2028. My love of reading, it started in second grade where my teacher did a read aloud of A Wrinkle in Time. And before then, I never really liked reading. It was more of a thing that just, like, teachers just had us do. And 
then after that, I realized how much like books can take you to different places and in minds of different people. Hello, I'm Ananya Chakraborty and I'm class of 2027. My love of reading started in like second grade. I started reading like the Magic Treehouse books and, and I just really liked learning about like all the facts. It was like a mix of fiction and nonfiction and I learned stuff from that, but I also had like fun reading it. I'm Caroline Young and I'm class of 2028. My love of reading really came from my parents when they would always like read to me before I went to sleep when I was little. But when I was in like second grade, I think, my dad brought me to the library and gave me a book that he said he wanted me to read. And that book was Percy Jackson. And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna like this book. And then I read it. And then my love of that series just kind of sparked and I've read all of his books now. Hi, I'm Priscilla Birdsall. This is my 32nd year teaching at Baylor. I noticed that I had a lot of uh, avid readers in my classes. I would stop talking or they would have a quiz and they would immediately pick up a book. And I talked to the sixth grade English teachers and we put together a list. Then it was like, oh, there are other kids that we started to add uh, as after the initial group. And we started the sixth grade reading group, uh, the page turners. And then the other thing we did in sixth grade is it's quiet reading. And then once a month we would meet in Felder Forbes in the library and we would have breakfast and we would discuss the books we had read and share out what books did we read, what genre were they, would they recommend it to the other group so we could get a, a reading list from there so we got vetted books. And then at the end of last year, that group of page turners wanted to continue and so they chose the name and they are now the seventh grade read readers and so we now have little reading groups in all three grades. It's Elizabeth again. So Miss Birdsaw asked me in like at the end of class one day, would I like to be a part of the page turners? And I'm like, sure, because you know, usually you have these kids who will go like sit around somewhere and play games and then there are kids who would like who would rather sit in a quiet room and read. And I was one of those kids. I'm Caroline. I've always really loved reading. And when I got the email to join the page turners, I got really excited because um, I usually won't read at home. But I, when I get the opportunity to do it like away from home and like in a quiet room, I usually will jump at that. So I was really excited when I got that email and said yes. It's Ananya. Um, Miss Callahan and Miss West came to our classroom to talk about the eighth grade literary society and then they sent out form and if you filled it out then they might have chosen you so that's how I got in. And this is Miss Birdsall. Sixth and seventh the idea behind that is just to put like people together and create a space and encourage reading and in eighth grade is when that is the group that models Roundtable, where there is a one book read for everybody in the group. What I did with the sixth graders in the page turners is they had each had a different color strip of construction paper, and they would make a reading link chain, and I had them hanging in my room and so they could see, and they wrote the title and the author, and uh, Anton's list, uh, his chain hit the floor last year. He, I couldn't even keep up with his reading. <laughs> Listener, these young readers had countless recommendations for what to read, so many, in fact, that I couldn't include them all. But here are just a few. 
it's Anton, and just so you know, there's a sixth Percy Jackson book coming out. It's next fall. It's gonna be um, released next fall, so be on the lookout for that. I'm I'm also a big fan of Rick Riordan's work, and I'm so excited for the new book. Okay, so this is it's Elizabeth again, and a really good book that was required in sixth grade was Out of My Mind, and towards the end of the book, you're gonna get so mad for a very specific reason that I'm not going to tell you, but it's a really good book to read. And the same author has also come out with another version out of my heart that I have not read yet, but I really, really need to. (laughs) It's Ananya. Right now I'm reading Education, and it's really similar to The Glass Castle, which I really liked. It's about this girl... And they live differently than other people do. It's just different, and I really like it. I'm Caroline, and I recommend uh, Sal and Gabby Break the Universe and Sal and Gabby Fix the Universe. It's my favorite book, and it's really funny, but it also has a good story. And I've read it so many times, and it's still one of the best books I've ever read. Finally, if you don't consider yourself a big reader yet, these young bibliophiles offered some advice for getting started. Uh, this is Anton. Um, here's my advice. If if you don't really like reading, then I would suggest like just crack open a book. Maybe if you even if you don't like it, or maybe if you do have a favorite book but you don't like other types of book, see the author who wrote that book also wrote another book because um usually authors use the same sort of writing technique in each book. It's Elizabeth again. To find a book that you really love is to first find your genre. My genre has always been fantasy, and I I love fantasy, and that's what Wrinkle in Time is. It's fantasy, sci-fi, somewhere around in there, and I would find your fantasy, then like Anton said, find your author, and then after that, explore more if you want to. Reading is its own thing. It can be something that's just for you in your own little world. And that's how I've always seen it. It's Ananya. My, so what I would say is just like find an intro, like you're probably interested in something else and then read about that. So for example, my brother, he didn't really like reading he likes learning about World War II, so he, at school he had to read one of Alan Gratz's books, and some of them are about World War II, and he read one of those, and he really liked it. So I told him to read other books by that author, and like Anton, or that's what Anton said, and he actually really liked them, so that's just read books of similar interests that you share. I'm Caroline, and... Kind of like what they all said, like find a topic, find an author. And if you can't like find something that you really enjoy, just pick up a book and try it. That's really what I have to say. Under the leadership of Priscilla Birdsall, the Page Turners was started back in 2021 and the Red Readers started up just this year. 
The 8th Grade Literary Society was started back in 2011 under the leadership of Amy Cohen. Next, let's head out to the quad with junior Cecilia Yuan to hear from students and faculty about their first memorable book. Hi, I'm Cecilia Yuan, a junior. I recently went out around campus to ask about people's first book they remember to read. Um, my first book I probably remember reading was Where the Wild Things Are. One of the Magic Treehouse books. I don't know which title it was, but one of those. Dogman. Dogman. Curious George. First book, I think it was also like Curious George. Curious George. The fat cat sat on the mat. I really love the book uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. First book would probably be Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. I think my first book was one of the texture books. Probably the first book that I read was Goodnight Moon. Piggy and Gerald book by Mo Willems. Dancing Bear book. The first book I remember reading is Harry Potter. First chapter book I think I've read it was Harry Potter. There's this dragon book that I really liked. I forget what it's called. Little Red Riding Hood. Llama Llama Red Pajama. The first book I ever read was Junie B. Jones. Raining Paint is a kid's book. If you give a mouse a cookie. Elephant Piggy. Sam and Pat. Probably The Chronicles of Narnia. First book I remember reading is Harriet the Spy. The Giving Tree. Dr. Seuss. Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. My first book was Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. It's probably Dr. Seuss. The first book I remember reading is The Lorax. Captain Underpants. Now, we join senior Owen McDaniel, head librarian Lauren Callahan, and reading librarian Rhonda Sixto to discuss new programming coming out of Hedges, all aimed at building enthusiasm for reading. Owen McDaniel, senior this year, class of 2023. I'm Lauren Callahan. I'm the director of Hedges Library, and this is my seventh year at Baylor. Rhonda Sixto, and I'm the reading librarian, and this is my third year here at Baylor. So everybody knows that you're kind of the face of Baylor's library, but um, maybe could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So I started off majoring in English in undergrad, and when I got finished with my undergrad degree in English, what else do you do but go get a master's degree in literature? And I really wanted to pursue that field because I really loved reading and talking about books with people, but once I actually started teaching, I realized that that's not where my passion was. So I stopped teaching, and I took a job as an assistant librarian in the Charleston County Public Library System in Charleston, South Carolina, in the teen room. And I had so much fun that that's kind of what I decided I wanted to do. And I went back to school, went to um, UT Knoxville and got my master's degree in information sciences in school libraries. So that's where, how I got to here. I started off um, actually in the middle school learning center as the humanities specialist. And um, and then from there, um, moved into the role that I, I have now as the uh, reading librarian. And, you know, I guess my journey started almost 20 years ago in college. I majored in English and then went on to teach English uh, at the middle and high school level and had a book club uh, for several years. And at my last uh, job, the last school, the principal one day asked me, hey, you know, I think we have an opening for a librarian. 
um, would you be interested? Because I had, you know, worked for several years with a middle school and a high school book club. And so that just evolved into me leaving the classroom and um, beginning my role as a librarian. Uh, Mrs. Callahan, I got a question for you. I don't know if you can say much about this, but what's kind of mm -hmm. the culture like behind the scenes of what mm -hmm. makes the library tick the, mm -hmm. the way it does? So one of the big things is creating a community feeling in the library. I know some students, some people might be used to libraries where it's quiet all the time. You have to not bring in food and drink. You have to be really careful about what you do in the library. And really our message behind the library is no, everybody is welcome. Everybody can come in. Everybody can feel comfortable. So Everything we've done over the last few years has been in an effort to give the students a space where they can feel special, where they can feel welcome. Whether or not you're a reader is not the most important thing to us. It's it, do you feel comfortable? Do you feel like you can ask questions and be seen and be heard in the library? So that's the nuts and bolts of it. And then from there, we just kind of build all of our programming, all of our book collection buying um, around making sure everybody feels like they are seen and heard. Here's another question for you, Mrs. Callahan. Speaking of these uh, programs, um, if you've walked around campus, you've seen flyers for this ultimate reading competition. Mm -hmm. You've sent out a couple emails about that. Could you maybe articulate what that is and mm -hmm. how that got started and what you want that to um, have an impact for with the students? Sure. So the ultimate reading challenge kind of came from an idea I had that the conversation about libraries and school libraries right now in the public eye can be really negative. There's lots of concerns about what books are in libraries um, and are the kids still reading? I cannot tell you how many times I get asked, do you think the libraries are dying? Do you think you'll still have a job? And the answer for me is kids are still reading. Faculty members are still reading. I have so many students who come in every day looking for a physical book that they can put in their hands and read. And that's really exciting to me. And I wanted to keep the conversation around reading at Baylor really positive. And we developed the Ultimate Reading Challenge as a way to bring middle school students, upper school students, and faculty and staff together in a way to celebrate what we're reading and to talk about what we're reading, what we're reading as a community. So the challenge has 10 different prompts on it. And I designed these prompts to be really wide so any type of reader can fit in what they would like to read into this challenge. So for example, one of the um, challenge is number three is to read a book with three words in the title. So that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Almost anybody can find a book with three words in the title. So we wanted everybody to feel like they could participate. And it is 10 books over the course of the school year, which between breaks and um that sort of thing. It ends up being about 10 books for the course of the school year. So that's how we've gotten started. And we've had a really great response from the faculty and staff, um, especially, and the students are really excited as well. So I'm very happy with the way it's going so far. And I hope that we continue to do something like this in the future. I have a question for you, Ms. Sixto. You've taken the point on one called Blind Date with a Book. Yes. Do you think, could you like explain a little bit about that? We're always looking for new ways to tempt students into to reading. Um, and so we, at the beginning of, of February last year, we pulled just some of our high interest books that, you know, we've read or 
we know other students or faculty members have read and have enjoyed. And so we wrap each of those books, just some, you know, plain wrapping paper and then decorated it with red ribbons and Valentine's Day uh, themed decorations and just wrote a very brief, maybe two sentence description, um, something that would be enticing uh, to to get someone to check out that book. Uh, and so they would have to we call it a blind date because they don't really know. They don't know mm-hmm. the name of the book. They know a little something about it, um, but they check it out and take it with them. And then after they leave the library, that's when they open it to see the title of the book. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. It creates a lot of interest mm-hmm. at the middle and high school level. And I love that the kids walk away with something kind of special. And then other people see them walking around with this wrapped present and it gets more people into the library. And so um, speaking of another program I hear that's going on is a kind of Harry Potter themed Mm -hmm. night in the library. Could you explain that a little bit? I don't have too much information on that. Yes. So that is called Hogwarts After Dark, and it is a special program specifically for our sixth grade students. And it is designed to get our sixth grade students feeling comfortable, feeling welcome, feeling like they have a place in the school library. I know sometimes the sixth graders walk in in the mornings and they see seniors studying. They see a group of freshman girls sitting at the tables. And so they can sometimes feel a little nervous. And so last year, Rhonda and I discussed how can we really make those sixth graders feel like this is their space too? And we had both come from previous library positions where we'd done a version of this program. And our idea was like, hey, let's just run with it. Let's see what we can do. So one of the most exciting parts of Hogwarts After Dark is that all of the sixth graders receive a surprise invitation on the same day in their advisory classes. So they get a hand wax sealed envelope that has their name on it and it has a um, a special invite in there Um, and it's designed to kind of look very old timey and look um, very authentic to the Harry Potter books and we have students RSVP and kind of kind of as a joke in the invitation it says please RSVP by owl and um, the kids will let us know one way or the other but we did have one sixth grade student who folded a paper origami owl and then rolled up her confirmed RSVP and placed it on the owl and left it at the library circulation desk for us so she quite literally did RSVP by owl on the night of the event um, the students have Um, They show up on platform nine and three quarters and we transform the lobby of the library into a little train station. And when they walk in, their minds are just blown because we have turned the first floor of the library into Hogwarts and we've got common rooms. We've got a potions dungeon. We've got Ollivander's wand shop and Honeyduke's candy bar. And it is just designed to be a night of fun and excitement and real joy for the students. And one of my favorite parts about this evening is that we also have a lot of faculty and staff who volunteer and show up. And last year, Doug Smith in upper school math teacher dressed up as Professor Snape and absolutely none of the kids could guess who it was and they got such a kick out of it. Um, And word on the street is that this year we're going to have a couple of special faculty appearances as well in full costume. So that's a little bit about the program. Here's another question for you, Ms. Sixto. And are there any other programs besides, I think I've mentioned three Uh um, total. We've gone into three. 
um, programs so far. Are there any other ones that we could expect to see on the horizon or that y'all are really interested yeah. in bringing back? You know, the last few weeks I have been working with, communicating with um, the author of Nixia, um, which Scott is Rangen. really, yeah, I yeah, love him. yes, he's, he's awesome. You know, a lot of students love the Nixia series, mm-hmm. Ash Lords, among other books written by him. And so he will be here on November 7th and he will speak to the middle school students during uh, extra help time, but he'll also be in the library uh, speaking to smaller groups of students as well. And I just, I love the opportunity uh, for our students to get to meet a writer and to see that these are just real everyday people that go home to families and lives and they somehow, you know, have just, I think it's a a good bit of it is discipline uh, to just sit down and, and to think through whatever ideas they have for the story that they want to put out into the world. So um, I'm hoping that he'll inspire maybe some future writers that we have, uh, some future authors that we have here at Baylor. So uh, now I have a question for both of you. Uh, So what's your favorite thing you would say about working uh, at the library here at Baylor? My favorite part about working in the library at Baylor is that I get this really unique opportunity to see students who start at Baylor in sixth grade and see them progress all the way through their senior year. And I know we get new boarders and new students along the way, but it's really special for me to see a sixth grader come full circle as a senior and to be still in the library and still reading and still um, enjoying books and conversations. So. I really love the relationships that I get the opportunity to build with students, and I also really just love talking about books. So um, every day when I come in, kids come in and they might ask for a specific book. They might be looking for something similar to what they've read, but it's always a great opportunity for a conversation and a great opportunity to pass along something that I've read and loved. And students will come back and they say, oh, I love this book, or maybe this book wasn't right for me, but those moments to discuss, what did you love? What didn't you love? Are really special for me. I think one of the things that I love the most about working in Hedges Library is the opportunity to to be creative, uh, the opportunity to do really fun library book displays, and to also plan fun events for classes when they come in. Because usually, uh, this leads to students finding a book that they really love. It's especially rewarding when it's a student who doesn't uh, like to read for enjoyment, um, but when they uh, come in with their class and they you know, attend an event like uh, Speed Dating with Books or the Starbucks uh, Cafe, it's, it's really cool when they get connected to a book that they ultimately love. And I think the moment that I most look forward to or enjoy is when a student comes back to the library and they're looking for the sequel to a book that they just finished, or uh, they'll come in and talk about how much they surprisingly really loved a book and are excited to tell you about um, why they enjoyed it so much. And so that is um, really rewarding to know that that I've played a role in helping um, inspire a student to read. 
uh, thank you very much for coming to the interview today. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Look Owen. Forward to hearing it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Next, senior Justin Todd sits down with head research librarian Lee Howick to talk about his journey to Baylor and how he helps students navigate complex research assignments in an era where verifiable sources are harder to find. I'm Justin Todd, class of 2023, and uh, who am I speaking with today? Uh, I'm Lee Howick, the research librarian. So uh, what brought you to Baylor? Well, um, I was working at a community college out in Denver and I ran across the job listing and having family in the area, I'd heard of Baylor School before and I grew up in Suwannee, Tennessee for, for a couple of years. So just having the opportunity to work at a great school like Baylor and be closer to my family was really what brought me here. What made you interested in the more research side of literacy? Well, I was teaching before I was a librarian. Um, I worked at a school in Costa Rica, worked at another school in Colombia, and worked in China for a couple of years. So I wanted to continue along like the education path, but I just ran across the idea of library science because I was so interested in doing research myself. So being able to be a research librarian seemed really interesting to me. And you know, I'm really glad that I made the switch from teaching to being a librarian because I still get to teach, but it's just in a different way. I get to introduce students to resources, get to walk them through the process of doing research. So to me, that's really fun and exciting. Um, I think my favorite part of school was actually doing research. So now I just get to do that every day. So what led you to want to teach in many different places all around the world? It's a good question. Um, I think a couple of different levels, like on a personal level, just really interested, um, maybe a little bit restless when I got out of <laughs> undergraduate, uh, but having the ability to travel kind of definitely opened my horizons. Um, having the ability to like practice new languages and spend time with people that definitely wouldn't have spent time with before was really great. And um, yeah, I majored in global studies as an undergraduate. So to me, like traveling and um, living in other places like Colombia and China were just a great way to kind of put that education into practice. It opened up my horizons and um, I think it taught me a lot about interacting with different people and um, definitely taught me a lot about how the world works, I guess. So what in a source are you looking for that would make it credible or not credible? That's a really good question. What I really try to teach students is to think about um, sources like situationally. So uh, first off, like who is the author? Like what gives them credibility to talk about this subject matter? So it's different for different subjects. Um, Generally speaking, like I show, like to teach kids that authors with credentials, like, you know, having a, a university degree or having a lot of experience in a subject matter kind of gives them credibility to talk about something. Um, it could also be like a journalist, for example, having a lot of experience researching a particular subject gives credibility. So really just thinking about everything situationally because um, it changes from subject to subject. But um, 
I generally try to teach like we're looking for like authority. So am I finding the most authoritative source and I'm looking for relevance? Um, is this the most up to date information that we can find on a particular subject? Because, you know, conditions change all the time. So mm -hmm. information becomes out of date eventually. So really just like to have students think about it from a full um, I guess from a couple of different perspectives when they're choosing their sources. So this is JSTOR. It's going to be really useful to you guys. It's going to have book chapters, journal articles, uh, research reports. I think everything in JSTOR is peer reviewed, which makes it really useful. So do you guys know what peer reviewed means? Basically means it's been examined by other experts in the field. So in this case, it'd probably be like military history. Um, and they've gone through the work and said that this is valuable information. And with students finding their sources, I understand that you create uh, research databases and spend a lot of time finding primary sources. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, one cool thing that we've added to the Hedges library this year is the ability to make these like research guides. So uh, it really helps me out as a librarian to go ahead and make these research guides ahead of time because helps me find sources in the library, helps me find sources out on the internet that students could potentially use. Um, and yeah, so these guides are really cool because it kind of functions like, like you're saying, kind of like a database itself, but it's really sort of like a web page that students can use and uh, it just links them to databases like JSTOR and ProQuest and then also to primary sources, books in the library, encyclopedias. So it's, yeah, it's a cool addition to the Hedges arsenal this year. Um, you can just click course research guide, click through this link, and you'll see a full list of all the guides we have. The one for this class is called History of World War II. And as information has taken much more of a switch from physical to being more of an online mm -hmm. study, how has that impacted how you teach finding sources? Yeah, so going back to the credibility thing that you were talking about earlier, um, I think with online and digital sources, we have to be more cautious now because it's so easy to create information and publish information. Like really all it takes is just like buying a domain and you can publish whatever information you want to. So the methodology that I teach students is something called like SIFT which is like a four step process that I have them go through. And it stands for like, stop, like think about the sources that are in front of you. Like, what are you looking at? What do you already know about? So stop is the first step. Um, investigate the source is the second step. And that means going outside of the website or going outside of the source itself and kind of doing some background investigation. Uh, it's also called lateral reading. So just opening up a new tab and looking up as much information as you can about the author or the publisher is the second step. The third step is find trusted coverage. That's just going back and if you still can't find enough information, looking for a better source. And then the last step is to trace all your claims and your quotes and your media back to the original context because things can be taken out of context on the internet. Uh, it's really easy to do that. So having students take that, that last step is also really crucial. So if like you see a video clip, like obviously video clips can be, you know, edited and clipped. So going back and finding the original clip might be an example of that. Is Wikipedia a reliable source? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
people disagree about this. Mm-hmm. I think when we're practicing research, I think it's it's great to find other sources besides Wikipedia because I think that Wikipedia kind of aggregates a lot of resources into one place. Um, I think Wikipedia can be very credible. Uh, it depends on the page. It depends who's edited the page. Mm-hmm. Really depends on what sources they've used. So one thing that I think Wikipedia is useful for is if is is finding sources. So if you scroll down to the very bottom and you look at the giant list of sources there, usually there's a lot of good stuff there. So I'm not going to say that it is credible or isn't credible, but um, it, it's a resource that one can use. And I think it is very valuable at some level. So circling back to kind of where we started, I know that you've traveled to a lot of different places and have experienced a lot of different cultures. How do these experiences impact how you teach at Baylor? Oh, man. Um, that's a really great question. Uh, I think I think just going back to it, it, I think it gave me a better understanding of how different the world is than from our own experience or from my own personal experience. So... Yeah, it just made me understand that the world's a really complicated place and there's a lot to learn from it. And maybe that ties into my love for research because there's just so much to understand. All right. Thank you so much for coming in today, Mr. Alex. Oh, thanks for having me, Justin. Finally, Taryn Harris, class of 26, speaks with veteran teacher Chris Watkins about how his love for reading led him to the classroom decades ago and what books can offer students in terms of how they see the world. Hi, I'm Taryn Harris, class of 2026. I'm Chris Watkins, and I'm an English teacher in the upper school. I've been here for 29 years. Okay, so a statement on your faculty biography states that you were a TV kid. Can you elaborate on that? When I was growing up, both of my parents worked full time. And so I was a latchkey kid, which means I took the bus home from school and let myself in the house. And normally I finish homework pretty quickly. So TV was my best friend. So even though you were a TV kid, were you ever an avid reader or did you have some type of attachment to reading as an adolescent? So uh, I was the kind of person that I went to Catholic schools uh, from K through 12. And uh, so I got a really good education, but it did not necessarily engender a love for reading. Um, But I do remember reading a couple of books in particular that were influential. One was The Scarlet Letter, which I read maybe my sophomore year in high school, and Billy Budd. Um, maybe when I was a junior. And I remember the books, particularly because they were really hard to read. Like I didn't really understand the the complicated and dense language. Um, So the the syntactical structures, the sort of elliptical narratives, but there was something really powerful about the words themselves. And so when I reread them in college or in graduate school, it suddenly brought this back to me like, oh my gosh, like these books were amazing. And I wish I had read more of them. Which books other than The Scarlet Letter Mm -hmm. and Billy Budd are meaningful to you? 
Well, there are many meaningful books. Uh, so I would say that The Color Purple is a book that I have just loved from the first time I read it. Also, uh, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, um, All the King's Men. Uh, so that was interesting because I had never read All the King's Men until I started working at Baylor in the fall of 1994. And Jim Stover put it in my hands and said, every 11th grader reads this book. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And this book was long and and complicated. And I remember spending many nights reading All the King's Men, you know, it's maybe 50 pages ahead of the students. But I've taught it now for probably probably 15 or 20 times. And it's just remarkable. So yeah, I love that book. And Invisible Man, I've taught several times, of course, Color Purple. I think the book that really sort of catapulted me into reading was a book I read my freshman year at Morehouse. And that was the book, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, uh, which I read in my freshman, uh, freshman literature class. And oh, it's just I me, mean, it's provocative, it's heartbreaking, uh, it's lyrical. Um, and I remember I had to write a, I had to write a research paper on it. And I remember my professor, Dr. Raming, uh, giving me back my research paper. I mean, it was just covered in red ink and I really thought I knew how to write. And then I'd had to go back. And of course that necessitated rereading parts of the book and trying to use those as evidence. And, and so by the time I finished that paper, I'd read that book probably eight times. And uh, and then, of course, I said, well, I must read everything else that Toni Morrison's ever written. So I started on that path. How was your love for reading nurtured? It was nurtured primarily through the amazing professors I had at Morehouse. Um, they had very high expectations. And what I found is... I enjoyed the reading so much that I wanted to meet their expectations. Uh, Dr. Carey was probably the most influential professor I had and probably the reason that I became a teacher because he would begin the discussion and would ask questions that really opened the text up to us. It's like things that went just beyond basic information. And just would make me see things that I had ne- that I just didn't see the first time I read it. And I was like, I want to like, I want to see those things. And so I would read more closely and I would think about the kinds of questions and, and passages and how things are put together and narrative technique. And it was uh, just such a remarkable experience. I took him for three more classes and I told him, I want to do what you do because that is magical. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Seems that your love for literature matured as you grew. When did you completely realize that, like, this is, like, reading is everything to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, that probably happened towards the end of my undergraduate career and then into graduate school. Because once you get to graduate school, it's essentially just reading and writing. I mean, that's just all you do. Um, and... The, of course, as I said before, there were high expectations in undergraduate. There were even higher expectations in graduate school. I just, at that point, I just enjoyed reading. I enjoyed thinking about how stories were put together. 
Um, I even tried my hand at writing my own uh, stories and poems and plays. Um, but, you know, I was just always in awe of it. And I just wanted to just be immersed in it. And as I said, I wanted to sort of pass on that to other students. With so many competing elements, how do you connect this generation of students to the world of literature? Mm, that is a great question. And it is certainly a challenge. Uh, I think over, because I've been teaching for so long, I've seen how you know, technology and social media have changed the way that students interact with, with text. For sure. um, and so I can't make as many assumptions about what they've read or the breadth of their reading or even the depth of their reading. So I have to approach it as I'm not trying to give you something that you're going to fall in love with. So that's not my goal. Uh, my goal is to give you something that you will appreciate. So you may not love this. You may not want to read this again, but I want you to appreciate the artistry because it will have an influence on how you think as well as how you yourself use language. I try to empower students by saying you are writers. Even if you don't think you're a good writer, you're still a writer because you have to make choices. You have to make choices about the language that you use, the diction. You have to make choices about the organization, um, how you support your ideas. These are all choices that you are making. And so those are informed, there should be informed choices, especially when you go back and revise. Writers do the same thing. So we never will read anything published that's just a first draft. You know, the writer has made deliberate choices about what he or she is doing. And so that is my goal, is to help students appreciate the artistry and then to empower them to do likewise. Why is a love for reading important? Mm. Uh, well, for many reasons. Um, one is it's, you know, and of course it's a cliche, but it really does sort of open your eyes to the way that other people see the world. And you have to, in order to be empathetic and, and understanding, you have to really begin to see the world in different ways. Um, and so I've always enjoyed just you know, so immersing myself in someone else's perspective. Uh, I think it's important for students to do that always um, and to always do things that expand their own worldview. Thank you so much for your time and in reflection. It's great. You're welcome. Wondering what to read next? Here is what some of our faculty and students recently finished. Hey, this is Spencer Chinnery, class of 2023, and I decided to find out what people have been reading recently. So I went to ask some middle schoolers and some faculty during their lunch hour. Here's what they had to say. Uh, the Promise by Kaim Potok. Most recently, I reread Lord of the Rings. Evil Spy School. So I'm reading Scythe right now in my first book. Uh, Return to the King. My re most recent was probably Wink. I'm reading House Arrest. Battle Royale. 
Last one, Wonder. The weed that strings the hangman's back. My most recent one is Stella by Starlight. This is Andre Agassi. Rebound by Kwame Alexander. Alice Austin lived here. The most recent book was Saving Mr. Turbo. Turbo. The Race of the Century. Probably Vanish. When the World Was Ours. Probably like Billy Summers by Stephen King. The Ichabog. The Amulet series. Five Feet Apart. When the World Was Ours. Rocks of Boxing. Fahrenheit 451 for English. Fahrenheit 451. Oh, Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451. A Spy School, I think. Framed. The God of War novel. Uh, Darwin and the Barnacle. The How to Get Better at Fortnite. What's the worst book you've ever read? The one with a bunch of pages. Uh, the Dictionary. A special thanks to all the faculty and students who participated in this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.